We're back for another episode of Smoke Signals because we think there is baseball on the horizon. And if there's not, I'm I'm already exhausted enough as it is and, and I can't handle any more back and forth. I, I was even reluctant to even talk about this until we had more more to talk about, but there's enough to talk about for now and, and let's try to be positive and let's try to think that we're going to see baseball again this year. I'm Justin Latta, joined by Willie Hood. Willie, how you doing? Doing well, Justin. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, it's always good to talk about baseball, and <laughs> I guess we're going to talk about the rules of baseball in 2020. We're going to try to and see if that's actually going to happen. So after I don't even know how many – tweets and how many proposals how many rejections how many press releases how many passive aggressive statements have been made um (laughs) players rejected the final offer of the owners for 60 games um and some other random rules that were thrown in there i don't know why I i think it sounds like they rejected it just so they can keep keep the grievance they filed because uh, if they would have uh, accepted the agreement, I think they would have had to drop the grievance. And I think they wanted to keep that for whatever reason against MLB about tanking the negotiations and trying to play as few games as possible. But what we do know is um, spring training 2.0 is going to happen July 1st. Players have agreed to report and 60 players will be eligible to play. So that means rosters will start at 30 players. Um, It will gradually change to 28 after 15 days. Um, 29 days in, it will be 26. And you'll still have the reserve to get your full roster to 60. Um, So that's an interesting development. I don't know why. It seems to me it's kind of arbitrary. After 15 days, you can eliminate two players and 13 later can eliminate two more. I don't really know if that gives you enough time to get pitchers stretched out and whatnot, but um, I'm at least eager to see how the Indians build that 60-man roster. And I mean, I'm, I'm curious to see where the 30 players who aren't on the – active roster are going to be, you know, I mean, it would seem that having 60 players plus trainers and coaches um, in one spot, you know, progressive field, wherever it ends up being, doesn't seem the healthiest route to go given the spread of the virus, even though Ohio is, I think, I think, I think cases are turning back upwards again. I think that's what it looks like. Um, so I'd be curious to see where they house the players because I would think having 60 players in a locker room, A, isn't going to work, and B, is not good for the situation. So what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I'm curious if it ends up, um, you know, those additional 30 players end up over in Lake County perhaps or, or Mahoning Valley. Um, maybe they will have them out in Arizona where the Indians have their spring training facility. Um you know, I, I think they did mention that players had to be within 100 miles, um, 
you know, it, the thing is, is I don't know which variation of all of the proposals that we've seen in the media and that have floated out there um, that we're going to end up with. It sounds like the last one is probably the most likely. Uh, that's where the, the players and, and the owners seem to be the closest. So that's probably what we end up with, uh, whatever the last proposal was. Um, I, I would think that they would want the players close by so that you you can minimize travel. Um, that seems to be the whole take on realigning all of the visions. And it sounds like, I think a report from ESPN that it will be mostly a divisional play with a few national league games sprinkled in too. Um, should be interesting to see how the roster takes shape. I want to see if they put prospects on there, guys that they want to keep working out, or if this looks like, um, some guys that they think that they will uh, call up and use, you know, do you want to start the service time on a guy like Daniel Espino? Um, you know, if, if uh, illness strikes and players have to miss time, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, variables up in the air right now. You know, I mentioned Carlos Carrasco to somebody um, yesterday as being a person who is high risk because of the, uh, leukemia diagnosis. I, I'm curious if he's going to play. I could see where he would want to play after missing so much time last year, but is it worth the risk uh, for himself and, and for his family even, you know? Um, a, a lot of balls in the air, so to speak. And it's going to be interesting to see how all of this plays out for sure. Yeah, well, with regards to Carrasco, I did – I remember – I don't even know how long ago it was because this, I mean, it's only June. It's okay. It's June 23rd. And I feel like it's June 80th. I don't even know the time. The time has been the time, the, the days and months and dates this year don't really matter because there's just no, I don't know. For me during baseball season, I go by where the Indians are playing or, or what, or when they're, what games are where, you know, that tells me, kind of what's going on, how much time has passed, you know, when I'm tracking if the captains are at home, if the rubber ducks are at home, if the Indians are at home. So I know where I am, if I'm covering a minor league game, or if I'm watching the Indians um, without that going on, it's been hard. I think to me, time has just been kind of a general concept. It hasn't really been as, as normal as it is, as it normally would be, I guess. Um, but I did hear, an interview with or someone talked to him i want to say it was back in may um that he said he would play because he feels like that's just he's a player and that's what he does so i think he would but i know i did just read that players may have to sign you know uh, uh some kind of waiver an acknowledgement of risk of playing with all this going on um and obviously he does come up because of his risk but uh, you know he also wouldn't lose anything if he doesn't play i think i saw earlier say people were um, someone said most players will end up playing because they feel an obligation to their team and they feel an obligation obligation to their teammates to play not necessarily the organizations and the, and the owners but to their teammates so i see that aspect but carrasco is one of those players who could opt out still get paid and not give up any service time because of his situation um, and you know, it's not like he's playing for another contract. He's with his age and the contract he has with the Indians, he's kind of set. Like whenever that ends, that'll probably be it for him in baseball, unless something, you know, changes, whether he's going to the bullpen or, you know, 
finds a way to play deep into his forties, but um, it's not like he's playing for another contract. So I wouldn't blame him at all for sitting out. I mean, given his family and his risk and um, it's not like he has to play for another contract at this point, but if he wants to play, I do respect that. Um, And obviously I did write last week about the roster situation. There hasn't been any detail yet on, you know, okay, if your roster is 30, you can easily grab guys from your 40 man roster to, to, to take that 30 man roster. But what about the other 30? So if we're starting out at 60 total on July uh, 24th, okay. To the play, the extra players, because obviously you only have 40 man, 40 players in your 40 man roster. So does the extra 20 guys do they start earning service time because they're on that roster, even though they're on the taxi squad or because they're, you know, they're there or do they only start earning service time when they're called up to the active roster, which is 30, 28 or 26. That's another question to think about. My guess though, at least initially is if, if player, if there's a guy in a 40 man, if the guy's in the 40 man roster, he'll be part of the taxi squad. And that probably even means, um, guys like Jean Carlos Mejia who haven't been above high a at this point, if he's healthy, I would assume they'll bring him in and work him out just cause he's on the 40 or maybe they make a 40 man move and they, they DFA him and, and add somebody else to it. Um, but I would think, you know, Daniel Johnson will be here. He's on the 40, but I would think other guys too, like Eli Morgan um, would be part of it. I'm trying to think of any pitchers in AAA that might not be on the 40-man roster. But Nolan Jones, to me, also, and I, I even said Kai Tom, just to have the extra bodies around in the outfield, even though they have a ton of outfielders. That's kind of how I feel like they would set the, the roster up. But there's still some questions to be answered there, obviously. Yeah, I think you'd have to tag in some of the uh, bullpen arms we saw this spring, like Cam Hill and Jared Robinson, uh, Anthony Goss. Um and a number of other guys too that they may may think, hey, we, we may need a, a another catcher or, or um, you know uh, another outfielder or whatever it is, an extra an extra arm like maybe Adam Scott that they could, if things get bad, they could use as a lefty out of the pen or something like that. You know, um, who, who knows at this point? But I, I think we can say pretty um, assuredly that they won't they won't. Uh, give these guys service time. They've not been very generous as far as uh, service time goes with these players. So I, I don't think that they'll get service time for it unless they are already on the 40-man roster. Um, what it sounds like, it'll be a camp run similar to um, Instructs in the fall. And I would expect that it, it, they include some of the top prospects to get these guys uh a look and get them some innings for this year, you know, and, and, you know, maybe they do call in an Ethan Hankins and a Daniel Espino just to get them some innings and get a look at them and, and to work on some things. But uh, those guys are really, they're a few years away still. And, you know, do you, do you call a guy like that up? No, you bring them in and you work them out just for the exposure though. I'll get them around some more advanced pitchers up the system from them and get them the innings and and, um, run some pitches with them. See how they're uh, doing with Espino, for example, with his changeup. See how his changeup is coming along. Um, I think it'd be an opportunity that way. And, you know, teams could be creative 
but then again, you still run that risk. Well, what if, what if the virus does hit the team and you end up losing five or 10 players all of a sudden, but the game, you know, the game still goes on. Um, are you going to call up guys off of the taxi squad? Are you going to pick guys up off of waivers? Um, uh, one thing that we haven't talked about yet anyways, is, is the uh, injured list uh, being changed to 10 days. That, that could be a thing where, you know, they use that to get some pitchers extra rest because it's expected. Well, the rumor is it'll be 10 days for, for pitchers and for um, position players. And then the 60 day DL will go to 45 days according to one rumor. So, um, you know, there, there's a lot of ways it could go. Uh, as I said earlier about some players with health concerns, there may be some guys that we, we have um, no clue that they have some health issues going on. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there is, and some guys uh, end up sitting out the season because of it. I mean, there will be. I, I mean, like I said, I read it earlier today saying the expectations most players will probably play. I, I don't know who on the Indians specifically would not want to play besides Carrasco. Um, but even, like I yes. said, even a month, a month ago, he said he would. So that's a, a good question. I guess, you know, you're going to find out in a couple of days. It's just weird. There's not a, um, there hasn't been an agreement in place. That's the one thing I really wanted to talk about too, is if it was yesterday, or if it was over the weekend, you know, I was texting you and I was like getting frustrated because they couldn't come to an agreement on money and schedule, but it had been, I don't know, months, like, you know, it felt like it, it's felt like months. It probably hasn't been, but it's felt that way that they never had an agreement in place on the safety protocols. And I'm, and, and it, it still doesn't seem like they do. And I'm just like, how do you not have that worked out first? You know, because you could get into this thing like, okay, July 1st is spring training and, the season starts July 23rd and it's going to be 60 games. You could get two weeks into spring training, you know, it could be July 17th and um, you've got, you know, uh, two teams that have 10, 15 guys that are testing positive for the virus. And even though, even though they're asymptomatic, they have to be probably out of commission for two weeks, you know, for the incubation period. And, um, you know, quarantining. So you lose, you know, two teams right there lose, you know, 10 guys and then they've got to rotate new people in, or they've got to worry about the other guys that might've been exposed, you know, and, and what's the, what's the plan if that's a bigger deal? Because we already saw in Florida, the Mets, the, the Phillies and the Blue Jays all had to close their spring training complexes because there was an outbreak and it wasn't just players. It was coaches too. And I, you know, you sit here and you worry about someone like Terry Francona, who's in his sixties and has a heart condition, who's had surgery. And then you look at, you know, you can't, you can't not have Terry Francona, not, you know, not travel with the team. Um, you know, you have to say, well, you, you can't really socially distance. He can wear a mask, but he can't really socially distance from them. Um, what about a trainer? You know, maybe maybe you got a, a you know, a 40 or 50 year old trainer that has a kid who you know, might have some pre-existing conditions that might make him at risk or might have a family member living at home, um, you know, an older parent or something that might have an, uh, an issue. Trainers can't socially distance from players. Cause if you're 
you're stretching out a player's legs or you're attending to an injury or trying to give them treatment to um, be ready for a game or recover from an injury, you know, those trainers can't be socially distant from players. So there's just so many little things that make this complicated and, and for them not to have those little details worked out before the money, you know, the money and the, the schedule obviously make up a lot of this, but this is such a unique situation. It just seems odd to me. They never had this stuff in place and it just seems like there's so many little things that if they're not also worked out, then we just spent two months listening, you know, reading press releases and tweets from the leagues and then the players on a season that might not even happen because all these little details could really throw a wrench into everything. There's a, as I said, there's a lot of balls in the area. There's so many variables. Uh, great examples there with with the trainer and and other and other considerations that factor into all of this too. Now I'm curious if it's less about having health and safety protocols in place and more about using that as leverage and saying, well, we want to, we we will agree to that to the terms that MLB has provided, but we also want this. So I, I'm just curious if if the players' union was using that take on that. Um, I'm assuming that MLB has sought professional medical advice and they don't just have a couple of guys sitting in front of a computer <laughs> Googling answers or Googling things that, you know, that they, hey, we need to throw this in there. Um, I'd hope to think, or, I, or I'd like to think that they haven't taken that approach anyways, but you never know. Um, hopefully that they are using medical professionals advice in all of the safety protocols that they are they're lining out. And in my understanding, the document that they provided the players was something like uh, 70 pages long or, or maybe even longer than that. That's pretty significant. And if you expect all the players to learn and to know all of that, it's just not going to happen. It's information overload. Um, that's why the, the teams each are supposed to have an individual who will control all of it too. And I suppose teach all of the players what the safety protocols are, including the coaches too. As you pointed out with uh, Terry Francona's health condition, um, you know he's a high-risk candidate because of age and heart condition. Those are those are pre-existing conditions for him that he will definitely have to be careful about. Um, you know, I, I think there's individual responsibility, but I think there's also a, a social responsibility for for himself and for others and, and those who are around him to to protect him too. You know. Um, I'm hoping that MLB has some pretty strict guidelines in place that they're testing frequently. And if there is an outbreak that they're going to pull those players, quarantine them. And then, you know, that's where they're going to have 60 players ready in case that there is a uh, five or 10 that, that do uh, end up sick. I just kind of have a, I don't know, maybe this is just how I feel and I'm sure that people don't feel the same way and that's okay. <sighs> I have a little bit of a problem with, you know, the worst case scenario. I'm not sure what happens. Like, like I said, if, if, if a couple teams have guys like five or 10 guys go down, you know, everyone's exposed to is around them, obviously. So you test, they're already testing twice a day. So I guess, you know, you're, you're getting out in front of it, I suppose, but 
I'm not sure I like the show must go on mentality. Like I get it. You know, I get that people's lives are affected and, and that, that's why I've, I have, I've refrained from, you know, using Twitter and saying, just cancel the season because, you know, it's not just the players whose um, money is at stake here. You know, most players can probably afford, I, I, and speaking major league players, maybe not all, but some, most, most major league players could afford at this point if the season was canceled, you know, and the owners could too. And the owners aren't going to, you know, lose their houses or um, not make their mortgage payments if there's no 2020 season. We know that. Uh, my issue is with, you know, writer, and, and this isn't not us, you know, neither of us make our living from this podcast or, or IVI, thankfully. Um, but I mean, other, other sites who've already seen light, uh, writers laid off, the broadcasters, um, I guess it doesn't really make a difference at this point because there probably won't be fans in the stands, but I was going to say, con- you know, concessions workers and things like that. But, um, you know, there are a lot of people involved in putting the sport on the field. Trainers, you know, trainers probably don't make a ton of money. Ground screw people probably don't make a ton of money. So there's a lot of people who are affected by not having a season who, you know, may have trouble with those things, whereas players and owners – are a little less at risk at that. But for me, like if there, if there is an outbreak, like there's already going on with, um, and camps, I don't know. I just, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with the show must go on mentality if there is some sort of significant outbreak, but yeah, like you said, hopefully there is in that long document, there is some sort of plan in there where if things kind of spread more than that, you would hope, that they have some sort of backup plan or some sort of protocol in place to, you know, think about people's health first. I think that they are addressing it in sheer numbers. Um, That's why you see 60 players in camp instead of the the full 40 man roster. Uh, I I think that is the thing. And, and, you know, I've thrown out five and 10 players. I think that's a significant number to, to a 26 man roster. You know, you, let's say you end up with five guys off and what if they're all your bullpen? You know, I mean, it could wipe out a bullpen. It could wipe out a starting rotation. It could be your infielders because they watched a video together and one of them was sick and didn't know it. You know, um, here's another factor in is let's say one of these players visits their uh, grandparent and then the grandparent gets sick and ends up passing away from it. You know, there, there could be collateral damage, so to speak um, with, the tally of lives that could be at risk from this. Um, you, you know, I, I work in the healthcare field and, and I've told you, I've seen a, a significant change in the community I live in where people are more cavalier about it now. Um, not wearing masks and, and seem less concerned. Um, I, I think with these players though, is they have to be socially responsible for themselves and for others too, you know, including their family members. But as I said, you know, they're going to be exposing Terry Francona, potentially. Um, There are other family members and other people that could be exposed that uh, are high-risk individuals. You know, there's a lot that could happen. There's so much in the air with all of this. It's just, it's kind of crazy. It's a a crazy situation, and I feel like we've been locked in like uh, Groundhog Day, just repeating the same stuff over and over and over again. And it seems like there's a, a crack of daylight for us now to potentially have games. 
but there's still so many questions unanswered. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming they'll get the details worked out. Like I said, I just, you know, things are not necessarily going super positive with, with, with testing and, or, you know, cases are not really going down. So and I don't want to get into all that, but uh, it's just concerning to me that how many players and, and coaches or personnel tested positive and in those camps, they had to be, they had to be shut down already. And you're trying to go forth the season and you don't know if you can keep everybody healthy or not do something irresponsible. Like you said, exposing more people to it that you don't need to, or, you know, spreading it willingly. I did just see a tweet pop up that MLB has proposed a special COVID-19 related injured list for players who test positive um, are confirmed as exposed or exhibiting symptoms, self-isolating players on the list wouldn't count against uh, player and roster pool limit. So if you wouldn't have, you know, obviously you could take that player off the, the the taxi squad or whatever it is and, and doesn't count against us. So you can swap somebody else on. So I guess they're doing, like you said, they're doing everything they can to keep numbers good. So people can feel the team, but that, like I said, to me, that just kind of goes along with the show must go on mentality where you're just kind of, keeping players on the, on the field so there can be a season, but at what point is too many cases to be responsible to keep playing, I guess, is my only question at this point. Now now that there's a forced season, and who knows what's going to happen with the players' grievance, I'm sure it doesn't make the next round of negotiations for the 2022 season any better, but, um, you know, I just I just wonder what's what's the breaking point. You know, what's... I hate to sit there and deal in, in worst case scenarios, but I just wonder what is their point where they say, okay, we have too many positive tests going around. This is no longer a good decision to keep playing. You know, is there, do you think there needs to be, or do you think they have that in place where there is kind of a, a line where they just can't cross where they're, like you said, they're not being socially responsible. I, I almost have to think that that is in that document somewhere. If there's a certain number, and, and who knows, there, there may not be. But let's face it, we may not see them break out of uh, spring training uh, 2.0. Um, you know, they, they may never really take the field this summer. I, I think it's exciting to talk about, but there's so many variables right now. We don't, we don't have answers. If Myself working in the medical field, I'd like to see and to hear what some of the proposals are to keep players safe and their families. Um, also, you know, the, the members of the media are going to be limited. I, I know that uh, a lot of the media will be limited to in, in sheer numbers, but also to uh, Zoom and conference calls. Um, so, you know, they are trying to minimize exposure on that aspect, but you still have the players and their families who are going to be at risk. Are these guys going to be living in essentially bubbles for the next few months? What happens with the with the guys who wives and, and significant others are expecting, um, you know, a baby there, there's so many variables in here. It's just crazy to think about that. We could actually have a season. I want, I want to see one with all of my heart, but I also am skeptical and, and cynical that we may not even see the end of spring training with all of this that's going on. Hopefully they are all, um, 
responsible and careful, but what we're seeing early on it with teams shutting things down, who knows if it ever gets out of the gate, to be honest with you. Yeah, I was texting a few people. I think I sent you this as well. Um, are we ready for Francisco Lindor's last games as a Cleveland Indian to be meaningless spring training games in the month of July of 2020? Are we are we prepared for that that to happen? <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, not, you're not laughing. So obviously, it wasn't a good joke. Um, but I think there's a real possibility that that we get spring training games in July. And I, I don't even know, are you going to be able to have spring training games? Like, are you going to, are they going to be playing other teams or is it going to be inner squad basically to get ready? Um, so, I guess they're not going to televise that. Are they? So what I caught in one of the tweets from Chris Cotillo um, from mass live, he, he said that uh, MLB is open to exhibition games, which tells me they're going to be warming up against themselves. They're going to be, uh, batting against, you know, their, their, uh, teammates. So huh. it doesn't sound like there'll be a, a whole lot of risk, um, as far as infections from other teams, uh, playing with other teams in travel. I think the best way to limit the risk would be to just play inter squad games until they deemed the, the players ready. Yeah. I, I wonder if we're going to see those. Like I said, I, and now that you say that, I think about it this way. Um, that's probably the safer route. I don't worry so much. And I guess, I guess it's really going to come down to, I guess it is going to come down to the players a lot because they're the ones taking on a lot of the risk here, right? They're the ones playing. They're the ones traveling. I, you know, the coaches are too. And then the umpires, of course, and any personnel like the trainers, um, but you, you made me kind of think about this in a different spin. They're, the teams are going to have to travel. Obviously, you know, it sounds like everyone's going to play at their home ballpark. They're not going to be playing in a hub like Arizona or Florida. And those, those states are having outbreaks anyway, so I guess it wouldn't have mattered. Um, I guess it ends up being on, on the people taking the risk to be responsible, which is unfortunate because they're the ones who we need to play the games. Otherwise there's no season. Um, you know, that's like I said, that's coaches, players, trainers, you know, what have you, I guess it's on them to follow the guidelines. Like, like you said, are they going to live in a bubble? Are they pretty much just going to play baseball and go home? Cause that's not normally what they might do under regular circumstances. So I, I worry less about, teams infecting other players like you're not going to see the Indians and Cardinals play and in theory you're not going to see like well the Indians and the Cardinals have the most players tested or uh, positive they played against each other you know five days ago whatever they have the most players testing positive for the virus I think it's going to be within the team I don't don't think there's going to be a whole lot of risk of cross contamination with teams because they're not going to be next to them and what maybe but I guess it's just going to be you know relying on the players, trainers, and coaches to not, besides playing games, to not put themselves at risk by going anywhere else or um, not wearing a mask when they know when they should be or, you know. I think that's where the testing comes in, you know, multiple times a day too, is you, you are expecting the players to be socially responsible for themselves and for the people, 
you know, that they surround, but at the same time, they are holding them accountable, so to speak, with the, with the frequent testing and twice a day is pretty frequent testing. Um, you know, who, who else is being tested twice a day right now? You know, I, I know I have to self monitor for work and I go in facilities that, uh, check my temperature and ask me all of the questions. Have I traveled outside of the United States? Have I had a fever? And, and all of the questions that, that you get asked uh, um, as you enter a, a facility right now. Uh, and in fact, there's a lot of places closed down still. Um, so these players' opportunity to to um, be exposed may be limited as, as they do travel even, you know, because uh, with, the, with the sheer... Um, with the sheer volume of places that are just reopening in states, every state is different. I know the area I'm in, everything is open and a lot of people are acting like nothing ever happened. Um, we're not there yet. Uh, I wish we were, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, it, it is kind of laid in the players laps to take care of themselves and their families and everyone that they're around. Um, I think in so doing they're caring for their, their training staff and, their coaching staff and even the umpires and the folks that they're going to be around. Um, so it, it's really putting it on the players themselves, but holding them accountable, so to speak, with the testing. I, I find that aspect interesting that they are uh, going to be testing that frequently. It seems a little overkill, but I think that's what you have to do too at the same time um, for players and for, for society to be comfortable um, to run players or, or to run the games out there. But at the same time, having seen, a few spring training sites already closed down. I'm like, how can this ever even get underway when you're having that sort of outbreak so early? Yeah. I mean, well, we'll see when spring training hit or never players report July 1st, we'll see what happens. You know, if there's a lot of teams that have, you know, multiple cases, if they're being tested right upon entry, you know, I guess we'll find out. If, I think if it makes it out of spring training, you can assume Things might go well as far as keeping keeping the game going. Um, I can't. I can't. I mean, I guess. I mean, people are going to travel and get in airports and go to an airplane. So I guess that exposes you a good amount. Like you said, they're being tested twice a day. Um, but I feel like if they manage to get out of spring training, I guess maybe maybe the first couple of road trips too will probably be a determined. Maybe maybe they will get out of spring training and then. It's the travel aspect that might end up being what does them in, or if they get through that somehow. Um, we really need to get to more more details or, or talk about the details. I really wanted to talk about strategy and roster building, but I guess we can do that next week um, once we kind of drill down more details. But I did just see road trips. On road trips, clubs can carry a taxi squad up to three non-roster players. So, um if, if you're at the point where the roster's at 30 or 28 or 26, you can carry three more players on those trips. Uh, taxi squad players do not get major league service time and they are paid the minor league rate. So that answers one of our questions or a couple of them anyway. Kind <laughs> of what I expected to, to come out of this. <laughs> no service time, right. Um, another another you're, thing. You're not going to be generous with service time. Yeah, that'll, that'll be a fight, I'm sure. But I guess if – and that's, that's why it's important to have – that's why it's going to be important to have more prospects on these rosters because the no-service time thing, you're not going to go out and 
sign non-roster players like a some free agent who was sitting out there in March or April before things got shut down um, to just sit in your tax squad. You're more likely to just do it with a inner, inner squad player. So to me, like you said before, to me, that makes me think that I can Hill, Anthony goes Kyle Nelson. Um, those guys will all be given a lot of opportunities to be part of the taxi squad. Kai Tom, Daniel Johnson, um, Ernie Clement, probably another one that'll make his way onto that as well, I would think. So I'll be curious to see how they're going to even stack that. Um, a lot of people are upset with some of the roles. So it sounds like we're going to do the run around second to start next innings. Is that what it, it looks like is going to happen? Universal DH was going to happen, and I'm, I'm fine with that. I know – NL fans don't love it, but to me, it just makes too much sense to do. Um, I'm not even going to get into the wet rag thing because I'll be curious. <laughs> I'll be curious to see if we if this season gets off the ground and it gets played. Um, I'll be I'll be curious to monitor Statcast and see how many players are how many pitchers are way up there in terms of spin rate from their career norms. That's all I'm going to say about that. It'll definitely be interesting. Uh, I think we'll see a little bit of substance abuse, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Here's another thing, too. Jason Stark just tweeted, we're, we're going on, I think, news as it comes out at this point because there's still a lot of details being leaked out. Uh, Jason Stark just tweeted that MLB has been talking with Nashville about having two teams there of unsigned players. They would serve as an emergency pool and would make $400 a week, MLB teams would have to pay a fee to Nashville to sign one of those players. So you might have a, a, a group of unsigned players, you know, on reserve getting ready in case you run out of players because of whatever reason, whether it's injury or the virus. wonder if that's where Yasuo Puig will go because he's trying like heck to get someone to sign him. So I'll be curious to see how that turns out. And uh, has it been confirmed that they're going to use the runner on second and extra innings rule. I know that's out there, but I don't know. Is that for sure? A confirmed I, I haven't seen anything confirmed on that. That was in the last package, uh, the last presentation that the runners would be on second. And this is only for the regular season games. So it would not impact the postseason games. Right. Um, it seems to be something that uh, Manfred and owners want to do, which is to keep the pace of play going. I, I can see the, need or the reason and, and the thought behind that with this um, wanting to minimize uh, potential exposures wanting to minimize game length especially with the circumstances um, but at the same time you know if you have players playing they're, they're playing a game and, and they're going to be out there whether it's two and a half hours or three hours I, I don't know um, that that really matters in this environment so to speak um, Maybe it's better for them to be on the field at, at times <laughs> instead of being in places where they would be at risk, uh, you know, but uh, that seems to be something that Manfred and, and the owners want to Im implement. And, you know, we talked about the uh, universal DH a little bit already. I, I think that is a foregone conclusion. That's probably in the best interest of the game right now to, to do that. It makes me wonder if a guy like uh, Wig will be, swooped up really quickly um, once the signing freeze is um, removed. 
Yeah. Does he drop his contract demands too? Because I, I mean, whatever he was, I think he was, at, I forget what he was asking for. I remember what it was, was ridiculous for like the, 50 million or something like that. At this point, would he be asking for five? You know, I, uh, there was rumors tying him to the giants too. So, you know, maybe the giants already have a, an agreement in place. Um, according to one source, the, the giants did have an agreement in place with Puig and we're prepared to sign him. And I don't know where that is at this point. Who knows? As I said, there's so many balls in the air. There's so many variables. Uh, let's say the Yankees or somebody offers him more money. He'd probably go there, and I couldn't say I blame him. Yeah, I'll be curious to see how that, how that turns out. I mean, nobody wanted to pay his price before, and I can't imagine anyone's going to pay it at this point. Um, okay, so we don't know if the runner on second rule at, at extra innings in the regular season is going to be a thing. I'm not against it, personally. I think given the circumstances, it makes more sense. Um, it sucks because it rewards, it can get, it can reward teams for bullpen mismanagement where they've done everything they can to get to the extra inning or they've, the bullpens performed well. And all of a sudden you put their best relievers in a situation where they have to come in with a runner on second by no fault of their own. And, um, I, I think in, in the major league level can, it can reward, bullpen mismanagement it, it kind of unevens the playing field so to speak but given the circumstance i'm not against it the trading deadline is august 31st which makes sense but that would give you about 35 days to decide what you need you know and and 35 days is not a whole lot especially when we're talking about someone like francisco lindor could the indians move him i don't think in a I don't think uh, – I just don't think that there's any any reason to trade him after 35 games or 27 games, whatever it ends up being from the, the, the schedule. There's not, not a strong enough decision. But if there's, if there's money involved, who really knows what's going to happen? That's the only thing I'm really concerned about is if money plays a factor in trading him. Um, it, it could. It could, uh, it could be value if they're thinking – um, let's say you go into this off season and there's 10 teams wanting to, to cut payroll. Well, the Indians aren't going to get what they would be looking for in the off season with, with Lindor, uh, because of the sheer volume of talent that would be on the market. So that would drive his price down. So if they got a, a big offer, let's say from the Yankees or from the Dodgers or the Reds, even, um, let's say the Reds offer the farm for him. And a few guys, you know, the Indians end up with five players in the deal and they get what they think is a sweet deal now instead of waiting for the offseason and risking the probability that a lot of teams, you know, cut payroll and move stars, which I think is what's going to happen. There'll be several teams that, that move a lot of guys and, and they'll go for pennies on the dollar instead of the, the regular value for them. I, I think it's kind of a um, perfect storm. <laughs> for the Indians, if they have the opportunity to get value and it's something that they want and like, and it's somebody meets their demands, which is possible because, you know, the playoffs are going to be expanded. So everyone's going to have a chance at making the world series. Maybe you get, get lucky and you get hot and you add a player like Lindor to the, to the lineup of say the St. Louis Cardinals, you know, um, that team could, take off and go to the world series because they made that big addition. You know, maybe it means that much of a, 
impact on the lineup and the players around them. Um, teams could take that approach too, is, hey, we're willing to pay the farm because we know we have a better chance of making the playoffs this year and anyone can win. Just look at the Nationals last year being the essentially the worst team that made the playoffs, but also winning the, the um, World Series. Yeah, I mean, in a typical year, um, if they wanted, if they were in a position to trade someone like Lindor in July, you know, the teams would have Lindor for two pennant races. In this situation, who really knows? Like you said, the playoffs are expanded. We don't really know what teams are cutting payroll or if they're going to really value, you know, in, in 60 games, anything can happen. I mean, you can have, I mean, the pirates could, could make the playoffs at, at, you know, 40 and 20, you know, in, in a short season, because some players outperform expectations through a certain amount of games. Um, or some other divisional opponents get hit with a, with a significant outbreak. And, and, you know, let's say the, um, Nationals get their whole pitching staff wiped out and they end up with a bunch of minor leaguers on, on their everyday rotation, you know? Um, I mean, that could happen to any team. It could definitely level the playing field, so to speak. And I think the shorter the season, the more likely we are to see madness. Um, it's going to be crazy. (laughs) I, I, I would not dare to make, predictions right now other than to predict that it will be crazy if there's a 60 game season it will be crazy and there'll be some teams and some players that do things that we were never expecting to yeah it's it's definitely going to be tough to flush out how things are going to happen and i want to get into that more but i don't think today's i don't think we have the time today to really get into it because we've already gone into detail and speculation about plans for the season anyway but I do think the Indian. I think every, everyone kind of has an equal chance for the most part to get in the playoffs and see what happens um, in a shorter season. I don't think any. I don't think a whole lot of. I mean, depth will be rewarded for sure, but I don't really know that. I think al- almost all teams are on, on equal footing in, a, in a, a season this short. That's that's kind of way I, I view it. There, like I said, there will be teams with better pitching um, and more depth, but. Random variance is going to play such a big role in such a short time that some of those advantages may be lessened. There won't be much there at the margins to gain from as there would be through a 162 game season. <coughs> um, anything else you want to address on that, or do you want to jump into some of the undrafted free agents and some other thoughts? Um. You know, we, we have other times to talk about this still because we're we're still at least a month away or we're, we're a few weeks away from a, a major league season. Um, I expect the unexpected. <laughs> right. At this point, who knows what's going to happen. Uh, as I've said several times, there are a lot of variables, a lot of balls up in the air, so to speak. Um, I, I will hop in on the undrafted free agents the Indians have picked up. Um I'll start with uh, Joe Donovan, the catcher from Michigan. He's a, a defensive-oriented catcher with some pop. Interesting pickup. I know that you mentioned um, Eric Haas as a uh, similar st- style of player, a guy with some pop and a, a decent glove. Yeah, that, that when, when you said that the tools that were there, and I looked at some of the college numbers, that's kind of what popped out, although – 
Haas was a high school player who was much high, more highly regarded, although he was a 10th round pick. And I'm guessing Joe Donovan might have been close to that as well if there was a longer draft. Um, I know there are some strikeout concerns with Donovan too. But, you know, Eric Haas struck out quite a bit too and did have some raw power and was pretty above average with the glove. So that's just why it kind of stuck sure. out to me there. Same, kind of the same tool grades for the most part. Yeah, and, and both of the guys with some ties to Michigan. So uh, I definitely saw that and was thinking that myself just because of the ties with Michigan and then the, the similar bat and, and um, similar glove work uh, behind the plate. Uh, what is guy good too, that, real quick, was that Donovan did catch a lot of big arms in Michigan. You know, I know they had a couple p- pitchers drafted. I saw one Jeff Criswell signed today with the Athletics. Um, he was drafted, but. Uh, he did handle some good pitchers there too. I think that goes a long way to why the Indians liked him as well. Sure, he's he's a guy that limited base runner, runners. He uh, threw out forty six percent, which is a significant you know amount of runners that he's knocking off of the bases uh, with that arm. So you know that it shows some defensive capability. And and I tend to think that you can never have enough catching, anyways. Uh, and it seems like that was the thought process um, adding Donovan to the to the Indians' depth. Of, of the uh, farm system. Uh, the next guy that they picked up was Cade Smith, a, a right-hand pitcher from Hawaii. Uh, interesting younger college junior. Um, he has a prep track record playing in the under 17 or under 18 um, with the Canadian national team. So he's performed on a big stage, went to Hawaii and was essentially a swing man there, but he sits low nineties Um just an interesting arm for them to pick up. And, and I think looking at him and looking at his frame, six foot five, 230, there's potentially a, l- a little bit more velocity there with him. Um, he could start or he could end up in a bullpen role. It, it really depends uh, whichever way they want to develop him. But he has enough potent- uh, potential as a uh, starting pitcher to, um, to possibly warrant starting early. Uh, on in his career before he advances up the ladder. Yeah, I didn't really have much on him, but not surprised that they went out and signed another college arm and two college arms actually they ended up signing, right? Yeah. Uh, the next guy was Jaime Arias, a uh, left-hand pitcher from Fresno State. Um, I couldn't find any – well, I couldn't find a whole lot of footage on him. But what, what I did find on him is a four-pitch mix from high school – uh, fastball, curveball, slider, and a changeup. Curveball looked good. He used it in on um, same-handed batters, and then he used the slider in on righties. I like that. And um, the changeup, when I saw it, looked like it had some drop to it, and it was dropping out of the zone. Uh, it was hard to find a whole lot of footage on him and, and very limited clips of his college performance. But looking at what he did in college, uh, he was the Fresno State closer his sophomore year and kind of worked as a swing man his freshman year this year he came out and started four games uh pitched about 24 innings I think he struck out it could have been 30 guys or more it was a pretty good amount but I haven't saw anything on his velocity but I expect with a guy with his type of control uh and and I pointed out in the write-up on him that he's a guy that only walked about two guys per inning or, or not two guys per inning, but two guys per nine innings, which is, to me, that's above average to plus control. 
Um, definitely shows an ability to put the ball where he wants it. But because he went undrafted, it also tells me that he's probably a guy that sits upper 80s, maybe very low 90s. Uh, to me, the Indians picking him up, a, a guy with a four-pitch mix who's a young college junior um, and a lefty. You know, you can never have enough lefties. I, I think maybe there's a little bit of velocity to unlock with him too. Maybe he gets into the low 90s more often. Uh, and I'm just speculating on his velocity because I think a guy with that type of control gets drafted if he does have uh, high or even average velocity. For sure. Kind of fair to call him a poor man's Logan Allen. And uh, and it doesn't really matter which Logan Allen it is because they're both kind of the same mold. <laughs> is that is that about right? Yeah, I, I think so. He's that type of guy that has that type of control. And, and, you know, as I said, the four pitch mix. So he mixes it up. He uses the pitches appropriately. You know, as I said, pitching in on lefties and then pitching in on righties with the sliders. So, you know, it's something to, to find a guy with that pinpoint accuracy and see what you can do with him. Maybe they bring him in and he picks up three or four miles an hour um, just with long toss or something. Who knows, you know, but it, it's something that they seem to target in the draft this year. All the guys that they that they drafted had above average or, or better control, and that's rare to find. And then they get a guy that's not drafted, that's a lefty and young for the class with closing experience. So he's been in some pressure moments, you know. Um, you add that type of arm to the system and then see what you can do with him. And, and I like the Indians pitching development, and hopefully they're able to add a couple of ticks on his fastball, and that makes the difference for him. If it doesn't work out as a starter, maybe he ends up being a bullpen arm that – it's in the low 90s, but with a four-pitch mix and a left-hander, I, I really like the addition. Um, could be, as you said, a poor man's Logan Allen, either one. <laughs> yeah, really. It's, it's funny how those two are so close together. I kind of wonder, it would be unprecedented. Um, you know, you did mention Daniel Espino and Ethan Hankins as guys that maybe I'm, a, I, I, I have, I'm not sure they would use them in the tax squad. You definitely want them playing or working out or something, but Part of me wonders if Tanner, someone like Tanner Burns or Logan Allen, the the second Logan Allen, would be on that that extra thirty man roster because those guys already would have had an accelerated path to the big leads probably um, at a normal year. I mean, we could have be both those guys. We could have been talking about being ready to play in the big leagues by next year. I think. Um, if if it was if 2020 was a normal year, uh, or even semi-normal, kind of it's so far away from normal as it, as it can get. But I kind of wonder if those two guys and maybe maybe someone like Arias ends up on the the extra roster just because of their proximity and skill set. Sure, I mean a guy like o Logan Allen I, with that type of control, he can get the fastball up to 93, 94 when he wants to, but he's not going to sit there. He lives 90, 91 a lot. But with the combination of four pitches, the plus change that he has, um, unlike the the larger, physically larger Logan Allen, um, who doesn't have or who has the Vulcan changeup, he has a circle changeup, so it's a little bit different of a pitch. He's a less a power pitcher and more finesse, but he's a guy that can spot it where he wants to, and he can run it up 93, 94, which is average, slightly above average um, fastball velocity. So if you put him in a bullpen 
and give him two or three innings, you know, that, that might be a guy that's a weapon for you in, in this type of scenario. And I definitely think with the three arms that the Indians got, there's potential for a quick return on all three of those arms. Yeah. Mason Hickman as well. You're right. I didn't think about that. Um, kind of caught me off guard that they, that a high school player signed um, and is a two-way player. You want to talk about Alonzo Richardson a little bit? So Alonzo Richardson is a very athletic um, kid that was not ranked in anyone's top 500. Now he did play at perfect game last year, which tells you he's on the radar. Um, I went to max preps and to a different uh, couple of other places, looking up some of his statistics and um, you know, he hit 364 this year. I think he pitched three innings, struck out five guys. Um, smaller kid, 5'10". I think he's a buck 70 now. Um, a lot of athleticism, a lot of tools there. It'll be curious how they develop him as a two-way player. And I know Barnsby said that he likes him as a two-way player. It's very interesting to see a 17-year-old that's four months away from his birthday signed for $20,000, but you have to assume he got a full ride to San Diego state because that's where he was committed. So maybe it's the, the combination, you know, he's somebody I look at and I say in three years, he probably would have ended up going somewhere in the fifth, or seventh round. Who knows? You know, maybe he ended up being a pitcher or a starting pitcher for the Aztecs and um, really develops. But with his athleticism, I, I think it's interesting that they're willing to, to let him, play both. And maybe that was uh, a prerequisite on his part that he'd be able to continue that path for now um, when signing. So it does give him kind of two opportunities to make it either as a, what I think would eventually be a utility infielder, because I, I question his uh, strength and ability to, to drive the ball. Um, but I think he's definitely a, a quality defender, a guy that I think has an above average glove and above average arm definitely has uh, plus speed right now as he fills out it probably ticks down but you know you, you have that kind of guy on the bench that might be able to come in and and even uh, throw a few innings out of the bullpen too so a very interesting kid um, I know that Brian Sikowski from Perfect Game has really um, wrote a few glowing reviews of his ability to pitch a lot of people are saying he's 89 90 I found stuff from this spring where he was up to 93 sitting 90, 92, and touching 93. So tells me there's more velocity there. And that's something Brian Sikowski uh, said as well, that he feels like there's high velocity potential there. The curveball ball already looks like above average pitch. And watching that pitch, it looks like um, it could be a, a plus pitch at some point. And he also throws a slider and a changeup that, you know, right now both look very fringe. Um, but a kid with a four-pitch uh, four mix, I have no clue what his control is, but I haven't seen anybody really say anything about uh, control being an issue or, or walks being a concern for him. Maybe he ends up being a starting pitcher long-term, a, a kid that's just very athletic. Um, they seem committed right now to give him the opportunity to be both. To be both. Uh, I find it interesting that they would be willing to add another shortstop and what is already a very deep system uh, of shortstops. It seems like they have uh, about 20 guys coming in from the international um, signing class every year that half of which are, are shortstops, you know. So um, it seems like the uh, system is flooded with shortstops right now. 
And I wonder why you'd want another one. But at the same time, your shortstops are usually your most athletic players on the, on the field. Um, I would not be surprised though, if he ends up as a pitcher long-term just because of that, that potential. And, you know, if you can find an arm like that, run him out there and see what you can make of him too. You always have the option to, to run him back out um, into the infield with that glove and that arm that he has already, you know, so there's a lot of tools there. Um, just a very toolsy kid and a very surprising signing. Um, I don't know that they're going to be signing a whole lot more uh, getting the four guys that they have. I think that they've done very well with all of these guys. There's a lot to like. Um, very interesting four-player class thus far, and we'll see what they do from here. I'm not surprised they <clears throat> they went with uh, another shortstop. I think it's easy to see that those guys, if they don't stick it short, it's easier for them to make an impact in at second base or third or the outfield because you always want to bet on good athletes. I was just more surprised that, and I, I mean, I, I guess it makes some sense. If I, you know, if I was this kid, and, and we don't know everyone's background, everyone from different situations, so you can't really, obviously, you can't judge, but you also don't know what's motivating their decisions. Maybe I, I'm assuming <clears throat> there's no way he's walking away from a full scale. He's not walking away because I think the agreement is that teams can still cover um, college for all these players that are undrafted free agents if they're a high school player. Yes. If they're a high school player, they can play, they can pay for their entire uh, four year academic um, journey as far as um, like his commitment to San Diego state. So he'll get San Diego state paid full paid for in full. And then he'll get the $20,000 on top of that. Uh, I mean, if I was a 17 year old and if you asked me when I was 17 and you offered me $20,000 and you offered me a, a full uh, scholarship like that, I would have probably ended up signing just from where I come from. So, you know, maybe, it, maybe it's about personal background. Maybe it's about his um, not feeling like he wants to go to school, that he wants to pursue a professional career, uh, career, but also having an opportunity to do what he loves and wants to do. Um, and that, as a two-way player, I think, you know, he has twice the opportunity to succeed at it. Right. I think it does make sense. And this is not uncommon for anybody who might be wondering. Um, when I, I'm not 100% on this, but I do remember this in some situations. There is a certain round where this cuts off. I'm almost positive. If you draft a player as, as part of their signing bonus to their contract that you sign them to, um, you can still pay you, you can pay for their college at some point in the future. The team is responsible for their college, a high school player. If they draft them there, I, I think after a certain round, that's not legal anymore. Um, so this isn't new. This isn't like some sort of new stipulation. It's always been in the past. I know, uh, if you remember Mitch Brown, who oddly enough was a San Diego state commit, <laughs> um, the Indians drafted him out of high school. And they ended up, you know, paying for his full ride. He was like a second round pick or a comp pick, I think. Or maybe he might have been as deep as the fifth. I can't remember. It's been a few years, but um, they paid for his entire ride to San Diego State. So this is not uncommon. And you're right. It makes it, to me. It makes sense. Twenty thousand dollars, and you're you're not walking away from a scholarship. You're still getting your. And to be to be fair, 
it's not like baseball scholarships are great anyway for school because they're not, there's no, there's no hundred percent scholarship for baseball. Um, this way the Indians paid for hundred percent of his college at some point. So he has that option and he gets $20,000 and gets started in pro ball. So in some ways this is really better now that I think about it, because yeah, you won't get to play college ball, but your scholarship's not hundred percent anyway at that point. And, you know, now it is all covered and now you're getting $20,000 advance and you're ready to start your pro career. And it's an interesting signing. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how he's developed too. And it's a player that really fits their mold anyway. He's he's so young, it's almost as if he's a, an international signing. As I said, he's still four months from his birthday. So, I mean, that's highly unusual to get that young of a kid in the draft. Um, he would have been one of the youngest ones available. There was there was one player I know of that was in his six, uh, 16, 16 and a half, uh, Jeffrey Walters, I think his name was, from Georgia, that was a pretty talented outfielder uh, that did go undrafted and, and, you know, be interesting if somebody signs that 16 year old um, very interesting if it was the Indians, um, yeah. but I can't blame, you know, I, I can't blame a kid for, for taking $20,000 and his education paid for. So what if uh, in four or five years, professional baseball hasn't worked out for him. He's 23 years old. He can go and get a bachelor's degree and have it all paid for. Right. There's really no risk there. I think could he have gotten more than $20,000 if he had gone to school and, and been drafted in three years? Yeah. With his skill set, that's that might be likely, or he could have decided to go to a, a junior college and been drafted sooner. You know, there's a chance that he could have gotten a hundred thousand dollars in a couple of years, but you know, twenty k is twenty k, and I mean, I'm, I'm not sure where he's from. You know, we talked about the tax implications. He's from uh, California, California, so maybe maybe twenty k is more like ten k. I don't know, fifteen um, k, <laughs> whatever. Um, but you know, his college is still covered and that's money he didn't have before. And, you know, he's, he's going to an organization that is pretty good about developing players like him, you know, contact or athletic shortstops who also, um, are young and, and has a great arm. So a lot of chances, I think this is a lot of opportunity for him. He's got, like you said, he's got an opportunity to play shortstop. He's got an opportunity to pitch. He's going to an organization that, um, <clears throat> likes the kind of kind of attributes he has and his college is paid for. So uh, there's a lot of opportunity for this kid. And um, you know, let's say he went to school all four years to San Diego state. He ends up a senior and then gets signed for what? $5,000. And some clubs charge a $2,500 fee um, when the players sign the contract. It, it's one of the little loopholes that teams have to stretch their, stretch their pool. And I know the uh, Tampa Bay Rays use that and the New York Yankees and, and a few other teams use that loophole to stretch their draft pool. Um, but let's say, you know, he ended up injured and then came back and ended up as a, a senior sign in four years, you know, 20 K he, he may not even have saw 20 K he may have just saw 5,000 or 2000 or a thousand, you know, some players don't even get that much. So to get 20 K and get a full ride to San Diego state and to be able to come into the player development system of the Indians at, at such a young age and start his professional career. Um, you know, I think it's a great opportunity for him and, and we'll see what the future holds. Definitely somebody worth keeping an eye on. Yeah. I'll be curious to see where he goes. You and I have not started going through. I know I, I put together like a rough list and we'll talk about this in the coming days or the coming weeks. But uh, our new top 50 with the new players, I don't know if I will have him on it, but 
out of all the out of all the free agent signings they've had so far, I would say if any of those guys are going to be on it, it might be him. I don't know if I would have the other three guys on there. I think they're the the only one I would say. Um, uh, Joe Donovan was probably going to be drafted somewhere in, in the eight to ten round range, in my opinion. Baseball America had him ranked at three hundred seven. He was top three hundred at uh, perfect game. So he was somebody that did have some hype behind him. Um, obvious questions with the bat. Is he going to hit? He may be a Mendoza line hitter. I don't care if he's racing runners like he was in college. It, that won't matter. And he does have some pop. So maybe he's a guy that is a backup catcher his career. Maybe he, maybe he just ends up being a depth catch, uh, catcher long-term. Of, of the four, looking at the projection and what could be, and, and the tools that they all have, you know, it's hard not to like what Richardson has. When you have a kid with a couple of pluses already, I, I could put a, a – or a, a couple of above-average grades already. Defensively, I think Richardson has that with the glove yeah. and with the arm. With the speed, he's a, he's a kid with a 60 speed. You know, so there's a lot to like on offense. Is he going to be able to hit? And he may be a kid that, you know, as I said, another – he could be another Mendoza line hitter, but a guy that – has a role as a as an arm out of the bullpen on occasion, uh, and also a utility infielder. So he's very interesting, and, and the curveball, as I said, is already getting above average grades, and it looks like it could have um, looks like it could have plus potential. And a fastball that's running up to ninety three, get a little bit more uh, muscle mass on that on that frame of his, and I think he'll be mid nineties with ease. <clears throat> Yeah, I'm definitely going to consider him for the top 50. And you're right, Jonathan makes a lot of sense as well. That's that. So that's an upcoming project I want to work on with you. Um, do you have any other thoughts? Are you surprised that we don't have any of the six picks signed yet? Uh, I suspect that there are agreements already in place and they're working out all the physicals. They'll probably announce them all at once as they did last year. That way it eliminates um, – a lot of the trying to posture and leverage. Um, I think with the circumstances, there should be no rush to get these guys in and signed anyways. It's not like you're going to run them out to Arizona and get them to play. Uh, so work through the physicals and everything that you need to do with the players, bring them in at a, at a staggered, um, at a staggered pace to get their physicals, get them acclimated to the system or, or to the organization but no need to um, rush to announcing all of them. Um, I saw Ruben Nibla um, say welcome to the organization to Tanner Burns the other day, which I think is a pretty good. Um, I think is a pretty good indication that Burns is in agreement with the Indians, and they're just waiting to announce it officially. Uh, I don't think that that was just random, as Logan Allen was reportedly in town uh, and in agreement with the Indians as well. And if Allen is the first and only signing, um, although it hasn't been officially announced, that tells me right away that that deal is not over slot. They're not going to sign somebody over slot uh, first and then put themselves in in a a position where they can't bargain with other players. So I don't expect he gets anything more than than slot. And, And as an older college junior anyways, I didn't really see him getting more than the slot there. Um, but as I said, I don't, I don't think it's surprising that uh, they don't 
don't have a bunch of uh, signings announced yet. Some teams are leaking theirs out. Uh, the Indians are very close to vest with all of that. Uh, you and I both know that they're very quiet on that end. Um, I think we'll probably hear all six. In, and as Scott Barnesby indicated the night of the draft, that uh, they felt like they would be signing all of these players. He, he said something to the effect of having agreements uh, or having all, all six players uh, under contract already. That, that's a pretty good indication that they had something in place where they felt very comfortable that they would be able to sign all six. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine that'll be the case. <clears throat> so when those signings do happen, I'm sure we'll talk about them. We'll write about them. You'll get all that. Um, before we get out of here, if any subscribers are listening to this point, um, I should have said this early in the podcast to promote it, but uh, my interview is up with uh, Petey Halpin's high school coach, Keith Ramsey, or at least he was his high school coach for uh, 28 games, if you count fall league for a senior year, that was how long he coached him for. But uh, with Keith Ramsey, Keith Ramsey was also a uh, Indians my league pitcher for a couple of years. Um, he was drafted in 2002 by the Indians. So I talked to him last week and then um, he gave us a good look into the kind of player Petey Halpin is. And he thinks Petey will sign. He said that uh, Petey was wearing an Indians cap to his graduation walk. They did kind of a, a socially distant graduation walk and he was wearing an Indian's hat. So would, uh, would seem that he's excited about signing. So we, I think that's a good sign as a uh, good indication that he's going to sign. And uh, Ramsey thought so as well. So if you're a subscriber, that is insider only, but uh, I encourage you to go read that. I know some people have signed up just to read that specifically Petey's family. <laughs> I noticed in the, uh, um, new signups we had. So thanks to them for reading. And um, I'm next week or maybe later in the week, depending if I can get to it this week. Um, I'll have Milan Tolentino's head coach from high school. Uh, we'll talk about him. I haven't really got anybody else to respond yet, but there's a couple other players that are, you know, the college guys were really hard to get a hold of their coaches. Cause you know, um, <laughs> you know, Vanderbilt's head coach is kind of famous and uh, Auburn's head coach. Oh, yeah, they're kind of famous, so it's, it's a little bit harder to track those guys down. The high school guys are a little bit easier to track down, um, but we're going to keep doing that as well. So that's what I've got coming up. That's, you know, the interview with Halpin's coach is up on the site now. Subscribe, go read. Um, we'll have Tolentino up, Tolentino's coach this week coming up, and um, I'm also going to do a retrospective with Keith Ramsey, who I said was Halpin's coach, because he was an Indians prospect at one point. I did do an extended interview with him about his career and what he's up to now. And he's kind of an interesting guy. So um, that'll be free for everyone to read. That'll be out next week. And I'm hoping to catch up with a few more um, coaches as well. And I'm, I think we're also going to go the route of talking to some other pros uh, former prospects as well. I hope so. Um, I'll have, we'll, we might have an announcement soon about that. Another couple announcements about some other things as well. And um Anything you want to plug, Willie, before we get out of here? Nope. Uh, kind of in, enjoying a little bit of a lull after all <laughs> of the draft content and, and the um, undrafted free agent signings from last week. So kind of uh, just propping the feet up, so to speak, when it comes to writing this week. And then uh, also looking in on the top 50 prospects, and I've, I've already got about 65 um, – <laughs> <laughs> that I'm that I'm looking into and putting grades on and, and adjusting and then 
uh, we'll compare and contrast and then come out with our top 50, I guess, soon. Yeah, that is in the works for sure. Um, that's going to take a little more time to tweak. You know, that probably, that's not something we probably would have done until July to begin with. Um, but it's almost July. So that'll be out at some point as well. I don't know if we'll do um, write-ups like we did before. But what we might do is you and I will compare, we'll talk and compare our list and we'll have a podcast about it. And um, we'll do some quick write-ups on just how we organized our top 50 or, or 60, whatever it's going to end up being. So we'll go that route. So be on the lookout for all of those things in the coming weeks as we find out if there's going to be actual baseball played this year. And, and if so, how much. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you if you listen this long and uh, we will try to get back to you either later this week or early next week as more details come out about potential season. And I think we'll dig into roster construction a little bit with this unique situation and maybe some strategy around that once we get more details. So thanks for listening for Willie. I'm Justin. This has been spoke signals and we will catch you soon. Stay safe.